0: What you're about to hear is a conversation with brother Rashid, who grew up in Morocco as the son of an Imam, who believed it was his destiny to follow in his father's footsteps.
1: Here's what I say when people bring the evil of religions, I say you have to look at the source, not what happened through history alone. So Islam, from the source, it's evil. The violence, it's from day one.
0: Then one day, a seed was planted that drastically changed his life forever.
1: It was the biggest shock in my life. I had an emotional crisis. I had a spiritual crisis. My dad, my family, my whole society, This cannot be true that all of them got it wrong.
0: He was cast out of his family when they discovered he was secretly leaving the Islamic cult. He was eventually harassed and threatened by the Moroccan secret police and had to flee his country. Like so many other ex-Muslims, Rashid now lives in an undisclosed location in order to protect his life, since leaving Islam is punishable by death.
1: always this dream this delusion that one day we will rule the whole world one day everybody will submit and we will try to do it no matter how through violence through multiplication through immigration, through whatever it takes, we will do it.
0: Rashid is an author, public figure, and TV host with a BA in Comparative Religions and an MA in National Security. We discuss Islam, Christianity, the Enlightenment, and Rashid's big picture perspective. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe to my channel, hit the bell to be notified of new videos and share this with a friend. You can also listen to it on all of the podcast apps under the Kate Wan podcast. You can also subscribe to my mailing list on Substack to get access to my podcast videos and tons of written essays that you won't find here. Check the link in the description below. Now let's get into Rashid's incredible life story. Let's start from the very beginning. Let's start from Rashid being born. Where were you born? And what were the first few years of your life like?
1: Well, um, again, thank you for having me and uh, for giving me the opportunity to share. Uh, My story began in Morocco. I was born into a small village south of Casablanca, far like two hours from Casablanca. And uh, my dad, uh, we are a small village. We have a mosque, local mosque. My dad was the imam of that mosque. It's like a pastor for a church in a rural area in any place in the world. So um, that's where I grew up. I was born into uh, a family. We I had um, seven, we are seven, six brothers and sisters, so uh we are seven all together. But um, for those who don't know, in the Middle East and North Africa, we live, uh, we live as extended families. So the uncles and the aunts and, and the grandma, grandpa, everybody's like the same village. So And all the neighbors are related to us in a way or another. So... the as, as long as the family is extending, then the village grows. And that's where I grew up until the age of 12. Then I had to move to Casablanca, which is a big city in Morocco, not like my village, because we didn't have uh, a middle school next to uh, us, so I had to move to another City to finish my studies, and um, I had to live with my uncle there. And um, that's where things started changing a little bit for me because, you know, when you change the place, you change the environment, you change the people you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you start exploring new things. And uh, I, I was 12, but I was trying to form a worldview. When you grow up in a Muslim family, you grow up with certain values, certain uh, principles, certain doctrines. Um, They are given to us through the family, through the system, through the culture, through the mosque, through school, society, everybody else uh, around us. So I grew up as a Muslim learning that Islam is the only true religion, I tried to memorize Much of the Quran because my dad teaches the Quran at the mosque. So he tried to put as much as um, investments kind of in me. So I will follow his steps when I grow up. And he invested a lot of time, a lot of effort to teach me the principles of Islam. I was pretty well educated about Islam um, compared to my age and my peers Uh, at school. I was always... Ahead of them when it comes to Islamic knowledge, because of uh, my background, because of my dad, and and uh, the the books I was exposed to and the teachings I was exposed to. So, so this is kind of summary of the beginnings. So this sounds
0: too like, and I and I recall seeing this in another podcast that you'd done with somebody where you said that because of your father's position as Imam. You, there was a lot of kind of privilege and reputation that was attached to that for your family, right? And it was a big element of pride for your father, for your family. And so it makes sense that you were here trying to become a student of your father in a way, trying to emulate what he was doing. And so you kind of, as you just mentioned here, went above and beyond what other what your peers were learning. Yeah. Um, and so would you say that in your family, among your siblings, were you kind of the child that was, for whatever reason, chosen to have this role?
1: Yeah, um, you know, the, the oldest always bears more responsibility in our culture. So I was, the, the second my brother was born uh, with something called cerebral palsy and um, so he it, it kind of they couldn't put a lot of effort to teach him or to make him a successor of my dad. So I was somehow the firstborn in that sense because they shifted all the attention. Not that they didn't take care of my brother. They took care of him but, and they took him to the hospital. But he, he had issues he couldn't learn and he couldn't. Um, follow the the, the the rules and he you know if you know about cerebral palsy they they don't grow uh much uh, he he grew up but his his um thinking is like a child
0: yes yes and
1: so um my dad invested a lot of time in me because he was considering me as the firstborn in the into the family and that's why he um, he was trying to prepare me for the role I will have. Just to give a little background, I know pastors are respected in churches and religious leaders, but it's much more for the Islamic world, um, for their imams. They are more respected in a way, more have the, more authority than a pastor in the West. So that's why the comparison between... The two sometimes it it doesn't give you the whole picture. Uh, So, when my dad, for example, uh, used to walk in the street, so if somebody just happens to be walking the same street, he goes to his hand and he kisses it as a sign of respect that because he has that religious position. And also, if we had weddings or or funerals, he he is the one who leads everything. If we had a dispute among, uh, let's say, certain families and people, he is the one who reconciles them and everybody Mm -hmm. has to obey his word. They cannot say no to him. So I kind of felt a little bit privileged uh, when I am uh, in the street with my dad and I see people respecting him. I wanted to be that kind of person. And, and, um, and I liked it. I liked the, the, the status it, ge- it gave our family and my dad.
0: This makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's funny. I was reading something about the medieval church. And it's like that was when it wasn't politics that was running life. You know, if we're talking about Western culture, it was mm. the church And so maybe there's a little bit of a parallel there where Islam is still kind of the church in a way, the mosque is central and the figures of the mosque, they're more like maybe political figures, celebrities, like, you know, the kind of be all end all of the hierarchy there. Is that understanding it correctly?
1: Yes, yes. Although it's changing a little bit because of uh, globalization around the world, so it's changing even in the Muslim world, but to a certain degree, it's still true.
0: Okay, okay. So so what happened next? You're in Casablanca, you're 12, you're with your uncle, and I recall you talking about this a little bit elsewhere, saying your uncle was supposed to make sure that you stayed in shape and that you kept following <laughs> the Quran yeah. and that you kept reading and that you, you kept practicing Islam, um, but something changed over there. So what happened?
1: Yeah, my, my, my uh, dad is a religious person. My uncle is a businessman but he is religious but he's not dedicating his whole time to religion he just does his prayers and a little bit of religion but the rest of his day is full of business transactions so it was kind of different but he made a promise to my dad that he will look after me and he will make sure i will do my duties as going to the mosque listening to uh the uh, the sermons that are given there or the sometimes they have some kind of special teachings uh, in the week, during the week, and I had to attend those. And in Ramadan, I had to do the long prayers, which you stay a little bit late and uh, all, all kind of religious duties. He made sure to give a promise to my dad, and he told him just uh, uh, you will he will have the same education here as used to be at home. And um, when I started having a little bit of free time with my dad, I didn't have much of free time because I'm either at school or doing my personal duties at home or with my dad at the mosque. So it's a full schedule. But with my uncle, I had a lot of flexibility. He's not there all the time to make sure I'm doing what I had to do. So I, kind of had some free time and I wanted to fill it with other stuff. So I started listening to uh, different programs on the radio. The radio in Morocco at that time used to be the internet for now. Uh, Everything you want to know around you, you just tune in and you start searching for certain frequencies so you can listen to a certain station that is broadcasting at that time. It was Ramadan and... um, you know, we stay late a little bit so we can eat late, so we can fast during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not—I was not supposed to do that because it's not. Uh, you start doing it as a religious duty when you are 15, when you reach uh, the age of puberty. But you, they start preparing you ahead of time so you will not be uh, suffering when you start doing it. So you cannot fa- fast if Ramadan is 30 days. Sometimes they encourage us to fast 15 days. If it's uh, uh, or sometimes 20 days. Sometimes if you can't fast the whole day, at least m- the the majority of the day, uh, if if you can't do it. So it's it's kind of training uh, program. So I was trying to do that. I stayed late. I would tuned to this station, and then I heard. Um, the story of Jesus according to the gospel. And that's when my worldview was, uh, I think, the first shaking point, I will say, because it, it conflicted with the teachings I had about Jesus from the Quran. And when I heard it, I was shocked first because the, the host speaks Arabic. For me, all Arab speaking are Muslims
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. a little later, later I, I I learned that there are Christian Arabs but I didn't know that at that time and, right. and the second thing they are talking about Jesus the Prophet in Islam the one who the Quran talked about but they talk about him as a divine person as God himself incarnated in the flesh, as he, is, um, he was uh, crucified and resurrected, and all kind of stuff that made nonsense for me as a Muslim. So I started getting mad and, and frustrated, but I, I wanted to continue to, to listen to the whole story uh, and it, so I, I kind of was struggling between oh, yeah. two things.
0: Cognitive and, dissonance, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> one side of me want to learn curiosity and another side, you shouldn't listen to this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: at the end, I took the address because they gave the address at the end of the program and that started my journey. I started corresponding with with the, the, that channel and sending them letters and they respond back. So back and forth for four years.
0: That's incredible. So I, I want to get into where this goes next because it's so fascinating. Um, it really just kind of like opened up a little tiny window for you, like almost a parallel universe that yes. you never knew existed. Mm-hmm. And, and there was something that that led you to follow that path and see where it led. Before we get into what happens next in your life and where this leads you, I just want to ask you a few questions about, you know, what is the difference in the Quran compared to the Bible? Like, what is the story of Jesus in the Quran?
1: Yeah, the, the Quran is, first of all, the, the, the understanding of revelation in Western culture in Christianity, Judaism, is different than Islam. And in Islam, it's a dictation. it's, It's Allah himself. He chooses the words, the letters, the form, the sentences, the content, everything in it. And then he sends the revelation through his angel to Muhammad. So Muhammad is like a vessel. He doesn't It's not his style. It's not his words. It's not his uh, ideas. He's just, he goes into a trance and then uh, he recites the words and a scribe writes them down. And that's it. So Allah speaking through the angel, through Muhammad to human beings. So this is kind of summary. So every letter, every word, every structure is from Allah himself. While in Christianity, and Judaism, uh, revelation is different. You can find different forms, different uh, ways that God communicates to human beings. It could be sometimes uh, a letter for a letter like the Ten Commandments, uh, but sometimes it's not like that. It's uh, the style of Paul, the style of John, the style of Matthew. uh, Each writer has his own style. But God gives the ideas and uh, uh, he leads them so they can write the inspiration for human beings. So hmm. I, I wanted just to give this this background so you would understand where, where I'm going.
0: No, this uh, is the, important, yeah. The,
1: the story of Jesus, he, the Quran was trying to respond to Christians around Muhammad because they rejected him. And he saw that they worship Jesus, but he didn't understand exactly the form or the content of those doctrines. It seems that he was hearing from a second hand or interpreta- uh, making an inter- uh, sorry, an interpretation himself. So, Jesus is the son of Mary. He was born. And to the Virgin Mary, that's in the Quran, he is uh, a prophet, one of the main five prophets in history. He uh, had the gospel, the gospel as a book inspired from God the same way the Quran inspired so he, he doesn't know the the gospels written after Jesus by his disciples. he doesn't know that idea. he knows that the Quran is similar to the gospel both of them are inspired to a prophet the same way that, that the Quran is inspired to Muhammad and so, yeah
0: yeah can I just clear that up so it means basically, this idea that it was almost like Jesus himself who wrote the books, or, or what? How did Muhammad yeah. interpret that?
1: The 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 idea in the Islamic theology, God inspired all the books the same way. So oh. Jesus had a book inspired by God the same way that happened to Muhammad. Uh, uh, God gave it to an angel, the angel revealed it to Jesus, Jesus wrote the book.
0: I see. I see. Totally different.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's why when they see the gospel of Matthew, Mark or Luke and John, they say, hey, those are changes and somebody wrote them. We want the original one. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The original one that Jesus had. Wow!
0: So this is really, really interesting, and and because I know some of the differences, right? I, I yeah. but I'm so I'm learning so much right now. So um, another thing that I'm thinking about is there was also a difference as well in the kind of resurrection story, right? Like that's not in the Quran. I mean, you yeah. can tell me a little bit more about continuing what you were saying first. I'm just excited about this and digging, well, digging in it.
1: The the. Jesus did, performed miracles in the Quran, and he was not killed. The, the story goes, he was, uh, they tried to kill him, the Jews tried to kill him, but they couldn't because Allah himself made a miracle. He changed the face of one of the followers or one of the soldiers. It depends on which version you interpret the, the, the verse in the Quran. But the verse doesn't say whom. He just say, say appeared to be to them. So it just appeared to be. There is a resemblance happened somewhere. Somebody was changed in the form, was taken instead of Jesus, crucified on the cross, but the real Jesus was taken to heaven. So God made a miracle to make Jesus disappear and make somebody else look like him. And he paid the price. He was crucified instead of Jesus Christ himself.
0: This is so, so interesting. And I will tell you why I find that fascinating a little bit later, because there's some a bigger kind of connection I'd like to make Um about this idea particularly but first let's let's continue to kind of move on in your story and and we'll get to that later
1: the main message of jesus was not um salvation from sin as christians teach the main message of jesus in the quran he was preparing the way for the one the coming one which is muhammad he was Mm -hmm. like john the baptist for jesus jesus was like john the baptist for muhammad interesting and so the final message the final prophet the final the one the chosen one is muhammad here not hmm. jesus hmm. and and that's why muslims they reject christianity for many reasons first of all they say christians change their books Second, they made Jesus divine, which he was just a normal prophet like other prophets. Third, they made they made God weak, look weak, because the Jews were able to crucify one of the main prophets. That cannot happen. And most of this, he preached about a coming of a prophet, but Christians, they, they hide that thing in their books because... They don't want Arabs to have a prophet. They are jealous of Arabs, jealous of Muslims, and that's why they hide all these things. And they know them. They know they exist, but they're hiding them.
0: Incredible. I mean, okay, so maybe I will get into what I wanted to get into right away, too. I want to bounce this off of you because I know that this is your area of study. You study religions. You study theology. You know... You know, you went through the whole thing yourself personally and now you know about them. So, yeah. I sent you actually this piece that I wrote about René Girard. Right? Yeah. yeah. And and the idea was that for René Girard what he was doing was he was studying mythology, he was studying paganism, he was studying myth, and he was studying kind of archaic religion. And when he was doing this, he was an atheist. Mm. And then he came across the story of Christ. And when he was looking into this and when he was studying it, he had this epiphany. He said, there's something different about this story. The difference is, this is the first time that the guilty mob scapegoated, persecuted, and then ultimately killed an innocent man, Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and once they were done and Christ was resurrected this became the great revelation that he was innocent and that the mob was wrong and so it was Rene Girard's idea is that Jesus was put on earth to show man the nature of his violence
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so What's interesting about all of this is that Islam comes after. It refutes that Jesus was even killed and crucified or resurrected. It refutes all of that. And that whole process that Jesus went through is what actually gives humans the kind of, the recipe to end violence to stop making violence, yeah. but you have Islam, which is, uh, Rene Girard said, sacralizes violence mm-hmm. rather than making Jesus sacred and making the innocents sacred and making non-violence and peace sacred.
1: Yeah.
0: Islam makes violence sacred. Yeah, Th-
1: there are, there are, uh, I thank you for sending that article. I mean, it, it was great to read and see scapegoating as 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 one of the things that pe- people do through history. They try to find somebody and blame him and put all the guilt on him, uh, somebody or a group of people even. And and uh, to understand the differences between the West and Muslim communities, especially in the Middle East and other places, uh, North Africa, you have to understand the elements of Christianity and Islam. There is no escape. We cannot understand the clash between Islam and Western civilization without understanding the pillars of Islam and the pillars of Christianity. I will give you a few examples. We mentioned the resurrection, the idea of redemption, forgiveness, change by other means rather than power, rather than the the sword. Islam doesn't believe in that. Change comes by the sword, by power. And that's why the idea of a God becomes a human being is rejected because that's not Islam's way of thinking. God should be above human beings. He should not interact with them that way. And he should just come by power hmm. And, hmm. And, and make them submit. The word Islam is submission. So you just submit. And, and, and this is why everything, the behavior, even as, as Muslims, when we grow up, we're affected by the, that behavior. You cannot show weakness. So, incarnation is a weakness in an Islamic worldview. Uh, another thing, Jesus being killed is a weakness. He should not be killed. he He should overcome evil. By crushing it, or even deception. Here we see God Himself making a deception, making somebody appear like Jesus, and taking the real one. It's kind of a deception. He deceived the whole crowd, including his disciples, and he went to heaven. So it's it's allowed to deceive and the other stuff. Just do not let the other side win. And these are the principles of our our thinking as a muslim society another thing we we don't believe in change through the word for example i mean the the whole christian idea is in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh so there is there is a a, a whole world view that thinks that the word can change the whole world mm-hmm. but th- that that's not in islam Uh, It's not part of Islam. It's by the sword. And that's why there is always this dream, this delusion that one day we will rule the whole world. One day everybody will submit. And we will try to do it no matter how, through violence, through multiplication, through immigration, through whatever it takes. We will do it. We will achieve that goal.
0: Wow, this is fascinating. So, okay, I, there was something I want to pick out from what you said there. You talked about deception, you know, God being this deceiver. And then you talk about God as being the the kind of ultimate will or power, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And I was speaking with uh, a friend and colleague of mine about, you know, some differences between Christianity or even Judaism. And Islam. And what he was saying was the Judeo-Christian God is one of love. Yeah. And the Islamic God, how he interpreted it, my friend is a Christian, is a God of of will. And as you're saying, will to submission, will to power, etc. So there's some different things in there. So first, can we look at maybe the, the deceptive kind of God. Are there other ways that that manifests in Islam?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, there, there are other ways. We we were taught as Muslims that we are allowed to lie in certain c- circumstances. For example, it's part of the doctrine. Three, three main ones, uh, you can lie to your wife uh, in order to save the relationship. And and you can try to avoid saying the truth if you see it serves a a good purpose. Mm. Um, I'm sure that goes well. Yeah. And another one is like you can lie to reconcile between two people who are uh, a kind of conflict between them. I go, for example, to A and I say, hey. B said good things about you, but he never said good things. Actually, he said bad things. But I ch- try to say, hey, he said bad, good things. And I go to uh, B and I say, hey, A said good things about you, trying to reconcile them with lies. That's allowed, too, in Islam. Hmm. Another one is w- at war. When you are at war with the enemy, you can deceive them and you can say, give them lies because Islam was... Uh, The the main principle in Islam is to teach uh, war ethics. And this is one of the ethics of war in Islam because Muhammad had many wars. So they they kind of tried to find ways to deceive the enemy. One of them is lying to them. And so this is another manifestation of believing uh, of a God that can deceive his enemies. Uh, There are many other things, for example, uh, when I think because when when I got out of Islam and I became a Christian and I I kind of was out of the worldview, I had the chance to look at it from outside and see the tenets of Islam, how it, it became this powerful religion, how it spread all over the world. And we had a Christian worldview in the same time. Why the, 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 the clash between the two? Where are the differences? Where they can meet together? Where they cannot meet at all? So I had the chance to compare and play a little bit uh, and see uh, w- where is the problem. Why we have this huge problem. And and today, every time when I see the conflicts around the world, I see that those studies actually are proven to be true. Uh, The the, the image of God affects our lives. We want it or not. And the image of God in a Western world affected their history. The image of God in a Muslim world affected their history. And, And now you can see our dictators in the Muslim world Uh, Look at any president, look at any king, he has all the powers in his hands. I know Europe and and different places went through a change through history, but why that change happened there and didn't happen in the Middle East, or why it started in the West and didn't start in the Middle East, why we are sending democracy to the Middle East and not the other way around. Look at, for example, freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Why it started in the West, not in the Middle East. Why we are exporting it to them. So all these questions means that Christianity had the the soil for these principles and it had the environment where you can have those principles and you can get them from, uh, you have a, a, a ground for them. You have a, a, a root for them. You can bring verses and defend them in the public arena and win a debate. But you cannot do that in, in the Muslim world because God is a dictator. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't adhere to even his attributes and, and also his representatives on earth do the same thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: either a mm-hmm. prophet or a president. It doesn't matter if it's Muhammad or another king in the Middle East. It's the same thing. They dictate, they do whatever they want, and nobody should question them. And this is the problem when we are trying to religion in the Middle East has a huge effect on on people. The, the West now trying to distance itself from religion, but in the Middle East, everything, everything revolves around religion. So without understanding the elements of Islam, you will never understand a Middle Eastern, North African, a Muslim, wherever he comes from.
0: So Rashid, I would like to get into what you just finished saying there a little bit later. Um, Because you said so many good things in there, but one of the things I want to come to is um, how you said that Christianity uh, basically created the soil for the kind of freedoms that we saw evolve in the West throughout the Enlightenment, I guess, and and after. Um, And we see, obviously, those those freedoms have been uh, put to the test in the last few years, but if we talk about the big picture, kind of long-term history... So what I see people say sometimes, there's kind of two camps, broadly, if we split it.
1: Yeah.
0: One says that the Judeo-Christian tradition is a large part of what led to these ideas, like rule of law, uh, freedom for the individual, etc. But mm-hmm. then there's another camp that said it was when we learned to kind of reason and decouple from God, because this idea was that Christianity was irrational somehow. It was then that we kind of started to uh, to create a more free society. Like the Enlightenment, part of it was like the decoupling from Christianity. Do you know what I what I mean here? There's like yeah. those two kind of viewpoints. So, what's your take on that?
1: There are flaws, and I I, I kind of. Go with the first um, view that you presented and not the second one, because there are flaws with the second one. First of all, for example, how they interpret the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was not against religion, because there there were some religious uh, Enlightenment uh, thinkers. If we think of the French, I mean, René Descartes was a believer. He was not an atheist. And if you go to even um, you try to dig into their writings and everything, they were trying just to make people think for themselves instead of following religious uh, leaders who are uh, using their power and religion to manipulate people. So it's not exactly against religion. It's against using religion to manipulate people. So there are two different things. So if you are a believer and you are independent and you think for yourself, that's part of the Enlightenment. It's, it's not really against uh, belief. It's against the herd mentality using belief. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And and, and we have to differentiate between the two. So, for example, if you take John Locke, for example, who uh, everybody says he's the father of um, many things we have today. For example, separation between the state and uh, the religious institute or the church that comes from there. Why we didn't have a Muslim thinker who came with this idea, why we, ha- we had it start somewhere else. For example, when you think of abolishing slavery, why it started in the Western world, while the Muslim worlds until 1961 selling slaves in mm. Saudi Arabia. And when you read the stories who started these things, they are religious groups. They are, they are not they are not just came from a vacuum they have to have certain ground to base their movement on so when you when you are a philosopher for example John Locke he started from Genesis when he was debating the kingdom versus uh, uh, a republic and it's, it's, do we have to listen to people or not? Do we own them or not? And all these things. He started from Genesis, actually. Mm-hmm. And without that background, he would not have reached uh, those conclusions. And, and, and also the same thing when we think of education, think about history. Who started the, the biggest universities in the West? And why? Where did it come from? Atheism as a worldview doesn't lead eventually to those things. hmm As a worldview. So if you have a vacuum, let's say there is no God, no religion whatsoever, just reason. Reason can, de- can lead you to evil too. Look at it,
0: communism.
1: Many things. We can kill <laughs> right. each other based on reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why we have to do hospitals? And the biggest hospitals that started in history, they were based on on faith. So many things, when you look at them, and why religious freedom? Because it's based on faith as well. People who advocated religious liberties and religious freedom, they were religious people. They led the movement. So um, th- these things, we try to ignore them, and we try to say no. It's when we started reasoning, then we, we advanced. No, actually, it's ne- when we say to the church, you are not going to misuse your power to manipulate people. And we are going to think for ourselves. And actually, you can trace the Enlightenment back to Martin Luther when he started printing the Bible and mm-hmm. saying for people, read for yourself. These yes. things do not exist in religion.
0: Well, this is so interesting, Rashid, because I think about Jesus in as like an anarcho-Christian, almost, if this makes sense, you know, like where his... If he would have known what was done, in his name, you know, all of, all of these holy wars uh, and and everything that was done in the name of, you know, these religious crusades and things, that yeah. was not his style at all. So True. it's almost like the Roman Empire kind of took this and used it to uh, took. Jesus, Jesus himself, his stories, his teachings, his disciples, everything—those texts, those books—and then used it as a way to control the people and to create this kind of theocracy. You know, this kind of mm-hmm. um, religion that was there to control. So it was like a bastardization from very early on. Yeah, and then you know, as you're saying with this Protestant Reformation, then you started to see that it was like here, read it for yourself, and that you know, uh, created a kind of shift in the Enlightenment, as as you're discussing here. So, uh, because I see a lot of people say the reason I bring this up is they say, well, look at all of the bad and all of the evil that was done in the name of Christianity, right? So we have that, and I think there's explanations for that, as I'm alluding to here. But then on the other hand, when we look at Islam, I think the difference is, and I would like to know if you agree, that the things that are done that are terrible and evil and murderous are in the name of Islam. It's not the bastardization, but am I Mm. wrong? Is that making it too simple?
1: I mean, uh, here's what I say when people bring the evil of religions, I, I say you have to look at the source not what happened through history alone. So Islam from the source, it's evil. The, the violence, it's from day one. When Islam started with Muhammad, he had 83 wars. So when you put that into perspective, so it didn't start later after 200 years, 300 years, people started destroying his religion, his teachings, and then started manipulating the masses. I will understand if that happened. I will say the man was peaceful. The man preaches a message of peace, but his followers later on they changed that. We are human beings. We are we tend to do evil things. We can manipulate. Anything, even good things, we can manipulate art, music, you name it. Religion, even the uh, science, anything we can manipulate it and use it for evil stuff. So it doesn't mean we throw everything that can be used for evil things, we throw it away. We always try to, to use the good side of it. If science can be used for evil things, we take the good things from it. If a religion can be used for evil things, yeah, we took the good ones from it. The good religion starts good. The the evil religion starts evil. So when you look at religion, for example, like Christianity, what was the message, the main message of Jesus? Was love and peace and forgiveness. Is that bad? How is it bad for society? how it it affected his followers and changed their lives. That's what we should start with. When when you look at Muhammad, what was his message? is conquer. Is that bad for society? Yes, of course it's bad. His followers fought each other from day one. When he died, they started killing each other. And it's still ongoing until now between the Shia and the Sunni. It's not something that changed over history. It's not something that happened later. It's something was born, Defect. Islam was born as a defect religion from day one. You cannot fix it. You cannot have a reformation. You can have a reformation of something was born good, then got deformed on the way. That's why Christianity had a, a reformation. Because it was born good, but people misused it through history. So when people came, they said, enough is enough. We have to go back to the roots. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Christ. So he goes back to the roots. You cannot do that with Islam. Even if you do Sola Quran, you have a problem. Even if you do Sola Muhammad, you have a problem. So you cannot escape it. Even people who say we can do a reformation for Islam as we did to Christianity, that's a false analogy. You have to have apples, apples, then you apply the same rule. This is not apples versus apples. This is another religion that believes it's a religion and a state in the same time. And God dictates the rules. So if you kill the apostate during the time of Muhammad, you should kill them in the 21st century, the same thing. There's nothing that will change this rule.
0: This is so, so interesting, Rashid. And, you know, I think that there's something that we have in common here that I just realized as you were talking, um, is that I was born Russian Orthodox, I was, you know, my my family was not very, very religious. We were more secular, but my best friend was also Russian Orthodox and her mother was very religious. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I would talk to her. I would have conversations. I would ask her so many questions about the religion. And then when I was in high school, I was studying. I had a class in Catholicism, or, or I think it was, or was it maybe just Christianity? But anyways, I think it was Catholicism. So... I was studying all of this and I was really, really interested in it. So I always had that kind of, um, that inquisitiveness Mm. around these questions. And what you just said about Islam not being able to reform is exactly the thoughts that I've been having. And I don't Mm. know everything about Islam. I I'm definitely, you know, I know more than maybe some people, but, uh, that was kind of where I was getting at too. Is that there's something fundamentally there, yep, that that cannot be reformed. So this, let's 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 go back to Casablanca on this thought. <laughs> let's go back to when you were 12 years old and you were.
1: <laughs> okay. I need to take a sip. <laughs>
0: prepare yourself to go back into that emotional realm okay so you're there back in casablanca now and now you're you're kind of like me you know who was talking to my friend's mom trying to figure out what what's going on here what can i learn about this thing there was a a, an inquisitiveness that was there a correspondence of four years you said so what happened in that time
1: when i started comparing islam with christianity I was shocked every time I pick a topic and I go through it, I get shocked. So my ground, I was losing ground. I was losing uh, my trust in the things I learned and my worldview was shake uh, big time. Many topics I picked, it turned out that uh, whatever I believed was right, and very strong, uh, I had an idea that we have very strong arguments to back everything up. And then when I looked at them, they were just uh, some, let's say, very weak arguments or just stories that they have nothing behind them to back them up. For example, I picked one of the stories, for example, the the crucifixion of Jesus. I said the gospel at least say he was crucified. We say he was not. We say somebody looked like him. Well, there are problems with the story, with the narrative itself. For example, who was that person? And why nobody came out and said, yeah, it was so and so. Hmm. And another thing, Christians, they have some historical uh, text that they can back their stories with them. We don't. Do we have any historical text that says so-and-so was crucified instead of Jesus? And another thing, when I read the commentaries, it made it even worse. One of them said it's Peter who got crucified instead of Jesus. One of them said it's Judas one of them said it's one of the roman soldiers one of them said just one random person and then they kept giving names and and at the end i was like where are they giving, getting these names from the gospel the same book they are denying it says the truth so th- there is no way you can get a peter from the quran so you go back to a source that you say it's not a reliable source and you get the stories from them and you borrow them to back your own story. It's just a circular argument that gets you nowhere. And and I'm just giving an example. You go on and on for every story and i would be like, I thought we have something strong here, but it turned out to be weak. So mm-hmm. when I lo- lost my my whole faith in Islam, It it was the biggest shock in my life. I had an emotional crisis. I had a spiritual crisis. I went into depression. I cried at nights because I, I was thinking of the bigger picture. My dad, my family, my whole society. This cannot be true that all of them got it wrong. And if if that's wrong, where is the truth then? What's true here? So all your grounds are are gone. And remember, I I was 16, turning 17 by this age. It's the time you want something solid because you are struggling with other issues. Your your hormones are changing. You are like. Trying to build something solid so you can start your life with it, and everything is gone. My the the, the yeah. main thing that you rely on is religion for your spiritual journey, for your 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 truth, how you understand truth, how you interpret truth, your 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 whole worldview that you base your morals on it, you base your principles on it. Everything is gone,
0: and this was especially for you because this was uh, front and center in your life. I mean, this was you were you know not even just in the average way, but like in a very, very personal way for you.
1: It was deep, and and I'm not sure everybody understands it this way, but I understood it, and the 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 problem is when I understood the complication of the topic and and the consequences of this idea that islam is wrong I, I, I was this is devastating this is not just an idea you will change like today you learn that this wasn't true and you move on everything in your life is attached to it and yeah. and, and, and i just saw how huge, how big, it was, it was a overwhelming to say the least, and, and, and even my classes at school, I was not able to focus for months on, I, I was always daydreaming because I, my idea is my brain doesn't stop thinking about the implications of this, and I cannot tell anybody around me because it's very dangerous.
0: It's almost like you're you're describing, you know, uh, the matrix, you know, basically like when you find out that you are not living in the world you thought you were, everything yes. you understood about the world externally and internally and spiritually, yes. there's nothing left to hold on to of all of that. You're just kind of like free falling in a way. So, I mean, that must have been... Immensely complex to to go through, especially at that age, as you said.
1: I I felt at certain times I'm going crazy. To be honest, probably I never said this, but I felt like I am going crazy. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. this is insane. And sometimes I was mad at myself. Why I am thinking about these topics? There are girls around. There are like things you can enjoy in life why I am stuck there <laughs> yeah and I, I and I tried to ignore it I tried to go with the flow but the type I was or the person I was I couldn't I, I, I every time my brain just goes back to the same place
0: that's incredible so I mean, after this happened after you have this kind of epiphany and what you're describing there it's almost like a cognitive dissonance right like your your brain psychologically will allow you to take in as much as you can and like go through the pain of like realizing the truth basically yep. in in, in doses that you can take. So you don't go insane, but it feels insane because you have that tug of war, right? Anybody who's been in any kind of experiences in their life, and I'm sure that this is a universal experience, at some point, most people experience something that totally challenges their worldview uh, in a very personal way, and they have to kind of figure it out again. A lot of people, though, I think, Mm -hmm. fall back into what they knew before, Because it's too painful. It's such a painful process to go through that like it's very easy to be tugged back into whatever you used to believe. You know, that's just so so it actually takes a lot of, of of psychological and spiritual strength, you know, to come out on the other side of that. So when you came out, Rashid, on the other side of that, um, where did you go next? Like, did you think, I'm going to continue studying Christianity? Like, I'm going to, am I a Christian? Am I agnostic? Like, where were you at after that?
1: There, there, there were certain times it was gray. It was not really clear. There were days I was 100% sure I loved Islam. There were some days I had um, certain fear inside of me and certain uncertainty if you want to say and it's like struggling going back and forth especially the first days it's one day I am 100% sure second day I'm not really sure and it keeps going on and on and on and then the gray area I don't know who I am and I cannot say I am a Christian but I cannot say I'm a Muslim but I believe there is a God somewhere and there is at least a power or something and, and then a feeling inside of me. I cannot prove it in any way, but there is certain thing that I'm feeling. And uh, I kept struggling with that until one time. Of course I was reading the gospel. I still I was reading the Quran and I was reading other books. And I was trying to understand philosophy, other stuff, whatever comes on my way, I, I was reading it. And uh, then the, the, the powerful message of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, it just um, resonated deeply with me. And, and the powerful, beautiful words of Jesus, wherever I read the gospel, gave me hope. Gave me certain things that I didn't find in Islam, and and the way he talked simplified things. I come from a countryside. Even the parables he gave them made much more sense for me. And uh, I always, when I try to explain to my American friends, I said Jesus was more Middle Eastern than Western, and 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 his message really I can understand it easily, while certain. Certain Westerns, they will struggle because they were not raised in that culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: for example, when he talked about the bread, you cannot live by bread alone. That makes perfectly sense, especially in Morocco. Um, and I know there are similarities between where Jesus grew up in Morocco because bread was life. If you don't have bread, you die. How so? It, it, because that's the main the main thing we eat. So when when there is a drought for for three, four years, literally people die. So and in Egypt we call bread the Aish, in Egypt they call it the Aish means life. Mm. So bread was equal to life. I'll tell you one thing. Not many people know it, but Middle Easterns will know it. If we find a piece of bread on the road, we take it, we kiss it, we put it aside because you are not allowed to step on it. Wow. We don't do that with any other thing. Wow. So this respect for bread is respect for life. Hmm. Because Mm -hmm. without it, we would not live. So we have high respect for it. So So that was speaking to you. Yes. Jesus said, it's not by bread alone. He knows that we think by bread alone we live. But when he said it, I mean today it would not make sense because you can go to any market and you get a lot of bread with all kinds with all ingredients with all calories.
0: Right. <laughs> or you or you go keto and you don't eat bread at all, right? You don't <laughs> eat
1: bread because you don't burn them. But back in the days we burned them because yes. we, uh, agriculture society we work hard so we burned them. But that's the thing. So when he says I am the living bread. And, and and I came from heaven. It makes perfect sense for me. He was talking to me. So all these things made me more attached to Jesus than the person of Muhammad. And he kind of gave me comfort during these times in a spiritual sense. Because I find at least somebody I can understand. I can trust He's not harmful. He's not evil. He's not the source. He's not trying to manipulate me. He didn't gain anything. He didn't have anything to gain from his message. So I kind of started trusting. At least I have somebody I can put my trust in him. That's when I I wrote to my friends uh, overseas. And I said, I think I'm Christian. I, I don't know, but I think I'm Christian.
0: And, and, okay, so you're writing to your friends from Casablanca at this point?
1: Yes, from Casablanca, and, but the, the letter goes overseas.
0: Okay, and was this going to the Christians that you were hearing talk on the radio? Yes. Okay, okay, I see. So there, so that radio frequency was coming in from another country?
1: Yes, from uh, uh, Monte Carlo. Uh, it's, uh, ah. it's way there. Yeah.
0: OK, OK, I see. So this was like some kind of just like foreign interference that just kind of showed up one day on your radar
1: yeah. and then I, I totally changed your they, life. I learned later there were volunteers from Egypt and Lebanon who used to um, record and send their programs there to be broadcast. But I, uh, they, they just correspond with nicknames. So I don't know mm. who was who.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So this was life-changing for you, really difficult but really enlightening and and nourishing to your soul at once. Uh, And then you had to deal with your family.
1: That's another issue. When my family came to know, I had to deal with them. I was kicked out, rejected by all of them, my extended family included. I had to live in the streets for two years, just homeless. Sometimes I had friends to go to. Sometimes I didn't. I just slept in the streets of Casablanca.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes. uh, For two years, I didn't have anybody to, uh, to go to except our friends from school. Uh, sometimes they can afford to have me at home for a few days, but sometimes even their parents will not let them. So I had to just keep running from one place to another. And then um, because that station connected me with an American missionary in Casablanca, I had some connection with him. He introduced me to Uh, Moroccans who converted to Christianity and meet secretly at certain homes. So I started attending those meetings, and those gave me another network of friends and people like me, at least, who think the same way or went through the same experience almost. And um, we kind of connected with each other, uh, and then some of them hosted me for a few days, others couldn't. And uh, after the two years, the missionary he offered, he said, uh, I just see that you have no solution and you are suffering. Would you like to move and stay with us until you find a solution?
0: Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So b- before we go forward a little bit in that, I just want to kind of un- untangle a little bit for people who don't know, like there's punishment by death for becoming an ex-Muslim, correct?
1: Yes, yes. That's so, according to Islam.
0: So, so I mean, this was like really, really risky business. I mean, first of all, you're lucky that you got out of your familial household alive in, in some sense, like in some other families that could have been the end. Um, yeah. The second thing is that what you were doing by meeting all of these people, was extremely risky too and that must have been stressful to not know can I trust this person is there anybody here who who may um go tell somebody about this what like I mean what was that what was that whole time like for you and what and and how how did you feel in all of that like were you confronted by your family or did you choose to tell them
1: no I was confronted because one time I kind of uh made the mistake of sharing with my cousins, and then they took it and they shared it with the bigger family, and then that's when problems uh, exploded. Hmm. And um, so when I was confronted uh, with my mom, especially in front of others, I, I couldn't deny that, and, and then everybody was against me since then. Um, some, one of my uncles, he offered to live with him for a little bit. He said, I don't care about religion, but later on he cared. So he, he, he kicked me out again and it's just too, too many things. I always just try to summarize them and put them in one sentence, but there are so many details unto them. Uh, Uh, let me clarify one thing so people will, uh, will not think we are exaggerating. Uh, the, the penalty of leaving Islam is death. However, in Morocco, because we were occupied by France, there is nothing in the law of the country that says this because we inherited much of the French law in Morocco. And they struggled how to deal with it. So they punish, but through other ways and means, I have never seen one that was killed, but I have seen many who got arrested and some of them, something bad happened to them. I had a friend of mine who was injected some substance and he came out of jail, not the same person. So uh, uh, yes, I know him in person and this happened. He, he, he lost his mind. We don't know what happened exactly to him, but he's not the same person. Uh, So They will not kill you. I don't know of any case. But they will make sure that they will do everything to uh, abuse you. I had one friend who was arrested. And when they took him to jail, they asked everybody to abuse him, uh, his inmates. And Mm. and so there are ways... They don't say it clearly in Morocco. If you go confront them, they will say, we don't kill people. We have freedom of religion. But Mm -hmm. in reality, what happened behind the scenes is not what you see on the news. And and even me, when I got exposed, uh, um, we, we, we didn't reach that part of the story. When I got exposed to the secret services, they told me, Straight to my face, they said it will not look like a religious case. Oh, uh, can you
0: can you explain more what that means there?
1: It means they can put anything. They can frame you. They can say we found drugs. So they the can Secret it...
0: Service—they found you. They they sought you out to threaten oh, you. Oh yeah,
1: but we we had somebody in the meetings with us who sold me. Ah. Oh, <sighs> So um th- that thing happened and then the media started knowing about me and the police and that's when I had to f- flee the country.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. But uh, before that I had a kind of normal life after the the missionary uh, kind of hosted me in his house for 3 years then I found a job and I was studying in the same time. I tried to manage my my life and then my life started getting better and better. I started reaching out to my family. I got at least peaceful relationship with my immediate family, not with the extended one. And I tried to keep that uh, bridge between us and visit them from time to time and tell them that uh, everything should be okay. With my dad, it was a little bit tense, but my mom kind of played mediator between me and him trying to keep things calm and uh, I knew I told him I understand that your position I put you in a very difficult position in front of your congregation and but I have nothing to uh, uh, there is nothing I can do to fix it Uh, it's it's unfortunate for both of us and and so I tried as much as I can but When I was exposed, then things exploded again. The newspapers started writing about me. Uh, Police come from different departments. I I was taken for interrogation several times, and they threatened me uh, directly. They said, "We, we can put drugs, we can do anything to frame you, and it will not look like a religious one, so don't be fooled that uh, human rights organizations will defend you or somebody will defend you. We're not that stupid. Oh, my so, goodness. So I, I, I came to realize uh, my life will be in danger. An accident can happen. They will. It will look like an accident. It will look like anything else, but not a religious case. Wow. Wow.
0: This is like hard, you know, to wrap, my head completely around like that must have been just surreal but i mean like all of these steps in your life at the same time had led up to this you know like from the from the moment that you first heard that radio call yeah you know uh, or even before even being interested right away in, in religion and kind of like it's like your religious journey began you know in in one kind of religion and in one set of books and then everything just like changed and evolved from there. And then suddenly you're at this point where you're like, I have to leave now. I have to flee. I have to go find somewhere where I can make sure that I stay alive, quite literally, just for my beliefs, just for my religious, spiritual beliefs.
1: And, And that's why I say I focus a lot on the freedom We have in Western countries, and people take it for granted. And I always ask them why freedom was not born in an Islamic country. Tell me why. Uh, For example, if we think of America, it's the religious people who immigrated there who knew how if they felt when they were persecuted in Europe, and that's why they came up with this idea that we should have religious freedom. Nobody should be persecuted for his beliefs. Mm-hmm. And 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 Christianity allows that, and Christianity has a ground for that. Where in Islam you can't. Where, if the text says whoever changed his religion, kill him. Where are you? How are you going to come up with a freedom of religion? Tell me with a text like that. There, there is no way you will have a fertile uh, ground for 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 religious freedom. With texts clearly saying, "Whoever left his religion, kill him." Uh, on the other way, you, 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 in in the West, religious freedom is one of the sacred things now. Nobody can touch that. And the only reason it's not because of enlightenment as they understand it. It's because of the enlightenment that came. Based on religion, too. It's not only reason, but also based on faith. If you believe in a God who gave freedom to people to Mm -hmm. believe in Him or to reject Him, then you will believe that religious freedom is sacred.
0: Well, this is what I find interesting, too, as a difference with Islam and Christianity, let's say, is that, you know, Islam, it looks like Allah protects whoever believes in him, in, in Islam. But, you know, the Christian God, the Judeo-Christian God, believes that all humans are capable of redemption and, and can be welcomed into the kingdom, right? If yeah. So so this is a really interesting difference as well there.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, in, in in Islam, you would not find a verse like, God loved the whole world, uh, only in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he loves only Muslims, and he loves only the ones who follow his his uh, commandments. And 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 another thing that I had a debate one time with a Muslim sheikh about the person of God uh, and the Quran, and I told him in the Quran it says many times that Allah doesn't lead people who went astray, He doesn't guide them. And I said, who got He guides whom then? Mm -hmm. If he doesn't guide the people who win astray, then he he guides the guided ones. It doesn't make sense. And it's repeated many times. In Christianity, Jesus came for the sinners, basically. So these contrasts, people do not realize them. And uh, when you dig into uh, Christianity and Islam, you will see them clearly.
0: So, Rashid, uh, let's talk a little bit about some really big picture stuff, um, because I think that we've we've set it up now to be able to kind of go in there. I mean, I think we could talk for probably like eight hours straight about this today yeah. <laughs> or more. I mean, yeah. I think you're going to I hope that you'll come back Um <laughs> And, and don't go away yet, people, because I think we'll still have, have more time to keep talking. But what I mean to say is that there are so many directions that I could go in right now with you yeah. and so many more questions that I have. But let's talk about this in context with what's going on right now with Israel and Hamas. Let's yeah. talk about how people are viewing this. There's one thing that I want to kind of just... Um, put in there for you to to bounce as an idea as well and what you'll say next is that I've talked about how in the kind of Rene Girardian way people are the mob the guilty mob is mm. scapegoating the innocent uh, in the same way that we saw happen with Jesus Christ like we can yeah. make this kind of illusion and this is exactly what Rene Girard says Jesus was there to show us to say this is yeah. what you do this is what yeah. humans do and you don't have to do it. There's another way, but for whatever reason it is, we're, we're inclined to kind of release our societal tensions by taking an innocent third party scapegoat and releasing our tensions onto them and purifying ourselves in the process and creating some kind of societal peace that's temporary. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see like the Westerners uh, joining in the persecutory mob of the Israelis and of yeah. Israel, the state of Israel, uh, people try and make a difference. You know between all of these things, the Zionists or the Jews yeah. or the Israelis or you know yeah. I'm all of these. Let's just look at it this way: you had the the original victims of this particular attack on October 7th were the Israelis. Yes. Now we see that that has extended to the Jewish people. There are also innocent civilians who are casualties, which is a different thing, uh, yeah. it, it, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so how do you think that Hamas views the whole thing? Like, how do you think that the Islamic world is viewing this whole thing? What do you see as kind of the big picture, like since mm. October 7th? What's been going on? What's your perspective?
1: Well, um, I knew because I I did, even before this, I did many episodes in Arabic to the Arab audience addressing our hatred as a Muslim society, Islamic society to the Jews and Christians. I did many times uh, talk about this topic because it's a taboo. And, and, And I lived it as a child. I still remember vividly what i was taught about christians and jews and it's rooted in religion so the hatred for the jews is before the foundation of a state called israel the, if you go through history jews were persecuted in islamic countries with the christians with other minorities But the main persecution goes for Jews first, Christians second, if you you put a priority. The hatred goes first to Jews, then Christians, then other minorities. And this has an explanation in the history of Islam because Muhammad tried to convince Jews and Christians that he is on their side and he's following the legacy of their prophets. Then they rejected him. Then they became his primary enemies because of that rejection. And he he started making them a priority and started persecuting them, uh, expelling them from his surroundings, and made many verses on the Quran about them. After that, the, the Muslim community commentators, they came and they built a whole theology around that hatred. So it became something sacred and some some stereotyping of Jews and Christians around him, they became the norm. It goes for every Jew and a Christian through history. So it's not a historical event that happened in the 7th century. It became the traits of these called Jews and Christians in an Islamic worldview. When you take it from there and fast forward to Israel, Yes, as Muslims, we hated Jews. But because this concept is not accepted, we try to code it with different names. We hate Zionism. We hate Zionists. We hate just the state of Israel. We have nothing against Jews. But that's all a cover-up. Because if you dig into details, you will end up with the same Result. For example, I had debates with many Muslims. I said, okay, fine. You hate just Zionists. You don't hate Jews. Can you explain to me why Jews were expelled from Arab countries, from Morocco, from Egypt, from Yemen, from Iraq, from Syria? You name it. Why they were expelled from that? Isn't that a a crime by association? They are guilty by association. Because you think Jews are one unit. You don't differentiate between them. If it happened in one country, why it happened in another country? We can say, for example, Moroccans got it wrong. Why Egyptians did the same thing? Why Mm -hmm. Iraqis did the same thing? So they have no explanation. Okay, another question. Can you define Zionism? Zionism is the belief that Israel has the right to exist as a state. For example, let's summarize it like that. So if if a Jew believes that a state, uh, a Jewish state has the right to exist, then you hate him? Well, tell me how many people do not think that Israel has the right to exist? 99% believe that. If I, I have no, no statistics, but I assume that if you ask all Jews around the world, the majority, the huge majority, 99%, will believe that Israel has the right to exist as a state. Only a few exceptions. We see them in videos. For example, the extreme Orthodox Jews, they say it has to come from God himself when we, a human beings should not carry that task.
0: And, and aren't, aren't some of those groups also funded by Qatar and Iran? I recall reading that.
1: I, I don't know exactly. I can't um, state that. But even, let's say there is 1%, there are 2%, 5%. Okay, let's go with that. So you hate 95% of Jews and you are trying to code it with, I don't hate Zionists? And, and, and many things. So if you go to details, it's just deep-rooted hatred. But we try to make uh, a justification for it by politics. For example, look what Israel is doing. That's why we hate uh, Israelis. That's why we hate them. Okay, if you hate the government, if you hate the army, Okay, I will understand that. But why a kid is attacked and killed? Is he a part of that government? I heard the absurd explanation and justification of this violence on the 7th of October. The girl that was taken on a truck paraded in the streets of Gaza with Allahu Akbar, Shani, Shani Luke, she has a German nationality besides she's a, a Jew. What did she do to deserve that? Nothing. She was dancing the whole night. She didn't have a clue that will happen to her. She was not hating Palestinians. She didn't hate Arabs. She didn't hate Muslims. She was just enjoying her life. She was on a visit and she will go back to Germany. Why you did that to her? Well, One of the explanations that came to me, she was dancing on a stolen land. Oh my god. Wow. Uh, Okay. I mean Uh, dancing uh... on stolen land? You will justify it like that? What did she do? Because you think in your subconscious that every Jew deserves to be killed. That's the only explanation. There is no other explanation. When you send a missile blindly. To Tel Aviv, you're not choosing a soldier or somebody in the government. You're just shooting and hoping as much as Jews will be killed. Why? Because you believe their blood is not as worth as any other human being. Because you believe they are not truly worth living. Because your parents, your school, your mosque taught you that Jews are sons of apes, sons of um, uh, pigs, and they, they are the enemies of Muslims. And they try to poison Muhammad, they try to bewitch Muhammad, and they are cursed by Allah. All these beliefs give fruits. And the fruit is you hate them and you try to get rid of them. That's it. We never loved Jews even before 1948 as Muslims. And I can challenge any Muslim to prove that Muslims through history loved Jews. None. They were persecuted. There were time of peace, times of peace. But there were times of persecution. Why there were times of peace? Certain rulers, they were decent. They wanted to have calm. They wanted to have peace. They wanted to have prosperity. Um, uh, prosperity. So they, they never persecuted Jews because Jews, they were good, skilled workers. They were good, skilled um, trade men. They, they They had their own businesses. They were paying taxes. And they, they accepted living as dimmies, as second-status citizens too. Ironic. Their people do not mention that.
0: <laughs> Ironic. Yeah, it's, I mean... Oh my goodness! So, so. Do you also think? Now I have this question, and it's 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 a tough question. But I was thinking as well about the systematic uh, torture and rape that happened as well on October seventh.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I read. I I didn't see anything by video to. Um, to be honest uh, with the audience, but I read reports like everybody yeah. else. And they are credible reports. I have no, no reason to doubt them. I'm, by, by nature, I do journalism, so I try to investigate every report. So I will not accuse uh, just based on, on anecdotes or ideas that are not proven. But I, I have seen enough evidence to say that it happened. And we're waiting probably for the future to reveal more, especially with the the hostages talking and and many people will talk about it, I think, in the coming weeks. And I will say this, it's not really, it will not really be something uh, that will surprise me knowing Islamic doctrines and Islamic history. And knowing that it happened before, for example, with ISIS taking the Yazidis, they raped them because that's allowed. If you take a Sabea, a a slave girl during war, uh, you, you have the right as a Muslim, doctrinally it's allowed, you have the right to sleep with her and to sell her as a slave. There is no problem with that. So if I see any Islamic group trying to implement Sharia, trying to follow to the letter Islamic rules, I will not be surprised if they do that. And with Hamas as a, an arm of a Muslim Brotherhood, as some people, um, uh, they are religious, they studied the Quran all their their uh, their sayings their slogans their their names their nicknames all of them are Islamic then I believe what they have done follows Islam and they raped women and they thought there's nothing wrong with that if you believe that killing killing people I I, I see no moral ground that will stop you from raping them if, if you believe that a girl didn't do anything, harmless girl, was dancing, and you have the right to kill her and take her body naked and parade in the streets, holding her hair on your hand, and you believe that's something courageous and you are proud of it. I don't see any moral thing that will stop you from raping her. that's why I, I I have no reason to doubt those reports and
0: I think too you know um there's something in there about submission itself because that is like uh the act of dominance that is in there and um I see it as this kind of like forceful submission, but yes. then followed by execution, I just wondered if there was something kind of um Because of the way that it was done systematically, I was wondering if there was something in there that was like, because they're they're Jews, we kill them after this. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to talk about this in this kind of detached way because this has, I mean, obviously affected you and me and and so many people uh, who just on the periphery. So.
1: Yeah, and uh, I just want to comment about dominance because you are totally right. You're totally right. I I wrote a book in Arabic. I wish I can translate it into English. It it talks about Islam as a tribe um, because Islam is a tribal religion, and it was born in a context of a tribe, and every element in it, you can trace it as an element of a tribal thinking. One of the things as Muslims, we believed we have the right to marry a Christian girl or a Jewish girl, but a Christian man has no right to marry a Muslim girl, and a Jew has no right to marry a Muslim girl. If you go to Morocco and you try to for example, a Christian try to get married there with a Moroccan lady, they will force him in the court to convert to Islam. Because as a non-Muslim you have no right, it's not permissible, it's not lawful. Why? Because a tribe always try to get their uh, uh to get the women of other tribes. It's a way to say dominance and make them submit. We took your women. We made them submit. We had sex with them. And also the offspring will be following our thinking, not your thinking, because the male dominate. So if you take our girls, the opposite will happen. That's why we will not allow you to do that. Wow,
0: this is just uh, a really, really enlightening discussion to go into these kinds of things. And this kind of brings me back to this, um, again, zooming out the lens yeah. and thinking about overall this, you said Islam uses deception, it uses submission, it uses force, it uses violence, it uses aggression, it uses uh, conquering uh, as means to this kind of end. So my question to you, Rashid, is, and this is a loaded question in a way, but do Mm. you think that Islam is an anti-Christian religion? Because these are all things that if you're a Christian, you know, belong to the realm of the devil.
1: Well, in a a sense, um, I don't want to talk about the Antichrist in a sense, in a theological sense, who is the Antichrist. But yes, Mm -hmm. Islam as a worldview is anti-Christian, anti-Western, anti-Jewish religion. Why? Because it was built on contradicting the Jews and Christians around Muhammad. It was built that way, the whole frame. It doesn't talk about, for example, Buddhism. It doesn't talk about Hinduism. It doesn't talk about any other worldviews. Even I don't see it clearly talking about atheism. And so it talks about people who resisted the, 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 the message of Muhammad. And the main ones there that had power and authority, they knew the books They knew the scripture. They were Jews and Christians. So the whole doctrine is built against them. And that's why you find in the Quran, many times they mention Jews, many times mention Christians, many times reply to their questions. And the stories behind those verses, you will understand how Muhammad struggled to prove himself as a prophet with those. And that's why he had so much hatred for them. And that's why he built his whole religion um, uh, based on hatred. Let me give you, for example, one verse from the Quran. Do not take Jews and Christians as friends. This is a verse in the Quran. So when you read something like that, as explicit as that, Do not Mm -hmm. take Jews and Christians in general. It doesn't specify a group like evil ones, like the ones who are uh, evil to Muhammad, the ones who are trying to harm him. No, Jews and Christians, as simple as that. And you find these verses coded by all Islamic groups through history, You will understand right away there is a problem, inherited problem with this religion against Jews and Christians.
0: Well, I think that this is a pretty good place to wrap up this discussion. I would love to have you come back again. This has been so, so great. And uh, I hope that our audience enjoys it too. Now, we didn't really totally get into the rest of your life because that's a long story to tell. That's fine. (laughs) But if we look at your x handle here moroccan berber ex-muslim follower of christ author apologist ba in comparative religions ma in national security me politics and tv host so there are many places people can find you i will link everything below um do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share
1: well thank you for having me and i appreciate um this podcast a lot and um uh, Thank you for um, also the beautiful discussion, your questions, your, your patience with me. And um, I hope to have another um, discussion in the future. For those who are going to watch or listen to this podcast, thank you so much. And I hope you will get some um, encouraging thoughts and some ideas that will help you understand the world around you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much,
1: Rashid.